Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. It's the season of back-to-school jitters. But this year, the anxiety surrounding going back to school for students, teachers, and parents is quite different. On top of all the usual nerves about school supplies, classes, and socializing, we also have to worry about health and safety. The pandemic is going in the wrong direction right now, and the highly contagious Delta variant threatens to throw us into another deadly surge here in Michigan. So the question is, how do we make sure students and teachers feel comfortable and safe enough in the school environment to teach and learn effectively? Joining me now to help answer that question and talk about what educators are going through right now as they prepare for back to school is someone we turn to often on the show for these kinds of issues. Dr. Elizabeth Moji is dean of the University of Michigan's School of Education. Dr. Moji, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you. And I also want to remind listeners, too, we, we would love to hear from you during this hour. How do you think that we can make sure that more students, teachers, and fa- families are feeling safe this year as school resumes? Uh, what do you think of the idea of something like a statewide mask mandate? That has been a really hot-button issue, to say the least, uh, especially within the last 24, 48 hours, it seems like that has really ramped up. Uh, or maybe even a mask mandate just in your community. Would you support that? Call us up at 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also leave your comments on Twitter using the hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, so, Dr. Moji, you know, this is such a, a tough issue this year. As I mentioned, you know, this is a tough time of year for for everyone uh, involved in schools. But this year is especially uh, challenging, to say the least. Uh, how are schools preparing across the state and how should they be preparing for in-person instruction amid these rising covid cases and the Delta variant? Well, Jake, uh, schools are are really working hard. They have many, many protocols in place. Um, you know, of course, it depends on the school district. Uh, different districts are uh, actually mandating masks for all of their students, their faculties, their staff members. Um, some are mandating vaccinations. Uh, and in I know in Detroit public schools, they'll be adding weekly testing for everyone as well. Um, and a number of school districts are doing the same. Uh, they're working on ventilation systems. Um, all the things that they had in place six months ago, 16 months ago, um, that they were putting in place will stay in place. So what we thought might be a little more open, a um, little more, you know, uh, not ever back to normal because nothing will ever be normal again, but um, or whatever normal was is going to change. But Uh, We thought we were moving towards something that would allow a lot more flexibility, but it looks like we're going to be really, you know, keeping those regulations in place for the safety of children and their teachers and their families. 
I'm curious what you think. And, and obviously, you know, this is sort of the problem with this conversation is that when we talk to educators, we have to keep in mind uh, and they and most educators will remind us they are not health professionals. Right. That that teachers and educators are educators. And so, uh, you know, getting the right kind of guidance and being able to have the, the science available and the recommendations available is, is so key. Um, but, you know, it, it seems to me like. Um, there are so many factors at play here that are so hard to navigate, including politics, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But what is your personal sort of feeling about this patchwork approach across the, the, the state that, you know, we don't have one single guidance or one single mandate or one single anything really in terms of what schools are going to be doing. Every school district is really trying to make those decisions on their own as best they can. Uh, what do you think of that approach? Well, I, I do think it would be great if we could have a more systemic approach, but, um, you know, in the education in the United States and particularly in the state of Michigan is uh, something that people really want to be able to, um, uh, I guess I could say, control or at least organize uh, locally. And so uh, I think this is a function of that very strong desire for local control of how we enact education practice across the state. Now, I will say that, you know, back, gosh, it seems like forever ago, but about 16 months ago, 12 months ago, um, you know, the state did put together a task force. They made public health recommendations. They were very strong recommendations, very helpful. Um, At that time, the distancing recommendations were greater. It was six feet of social distancing or physical distancing. Uh, It's been reduced to three feet, uh, recommendation by the CDC. Um, Of course, even three feet is hard to maintain in a school Mm -hmm. filled with children. Um, But they did actually, uh, you know, prepare and recommend a whole set of guidelines. So, there is that guidance to follow if, um, if districts choose to follow it. But it is, as you say, a patchwork. And, uh, you know, depending on um, where a teacher teaches, uh, you know, they, they might be sending their child to a place that masks and they might be in a, a school system that doesn't mask. Um, but I'm, my sense is that many, many, many school districts around the state are requiring masking. Um, and they might not have been a month ago. You know, just yesterday, Michigan Chief Medical Executive Dr. Janae Caldoun said that she thinks a statewide school mask mandate uh, would help slow at least the spread of COVID-19, especially in schools. Um, what are we seeing in terms of, uh, you know, how how much that is? I mean, you, you mentioned that a lot of schools are putting those mask mandates in place, but in your opinion, as as an educator and someone who's been watching these issues, what what would be the value of something like that, if any? I mean, do you do you think that um, that there are a lot of superintendents, a lot of uh, school officials who wish that it was the state really making these decisions on sort of a widespread uh, scale, so that for one thing, they don't have to be the ones making that decision, but also um, that you know, in terms of really slowing the spread and keeping kids safe, that's the way to go. How, do you think that that's pretty prevalent? Um, I, you know, obviously, it's always nice to have backing 
um, to be able to, you know, make uh, decisions or, or, or carry out, uh, follow guidelines that um, others are are in agreement with, um, and and that there's that, you know, as you said, that systemic, um, you know, approach. Um, I do think that different superintendents, um, you know, across the state would have very different feelings about a mask mandate because they are, you know, responding to their local constituents. I think a mask, I think everyone should be masking at this point in, in school. Um, as I just mentioned, it's very difficult to maintain the kind of distancing um, that we know we need to maintain. We know children, um, you know, are, are often in close quarters, we, especially in high schools. And even though um, we can, you know, have vaccinated high schoolers because they, they now, um, you know, are eligible, uh, they still, we know that, that the, uh, the virus is transmitted even with vaccinations and they're moving through hallways that are very, very crowded. So I think masking makes sense. Um, I'm not a public health expert, but I have been following, you know, the, the science and I think it's a wise thing to do at this time, whether or not one person, you know, or the state should be mandating it for everyone. I, I can't say whether I think, um, you know, I can't say that all leaders, school leaders would appreciate that because mm. they answer to their local constituents who may not support that. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer sitting in for Stephen Henderson today, and I'm talking with Dr. Elizabeth Moji, Dean of the University of Michigan School of Education. We're talking back to school. We're talking about all the things on the minds of educators, parents, and students as we head back into this really unprecedented school year. And we want to hear from you. How do you think we should make sure that students, teachers, and families are safe this year as school resumes? What do you think of the idea of a statewide mask mandate or even just a mask mandate in your community? Would you support that? Uh, Do you think that schools should have more flexibility to go remote or make other safety accommodations if there's an outbreak of COVID-19? And, you know, especially if you're a teacher or parent or even a student, you know, how what has you maybe excited for this year uh, as we return back to a lot of in-person instruction? Or what has you nervous about this school year, especially when it comes to safety and feeling safe enough to have an effective learning environment in schools? The number on the lines, as usual, is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also leave your comments and questions on Twitter using the hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into that conversation. Um, let's go to the phones here. I want to take this call from Sam in Mount Clemens. Sam, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Jake. How are you? I'm great. What do you What would you like to say? Okay, so this hits me. This is real close to home. My daughter's going into third grade. Um, last year, her school did very well. It was with the mask mandate. There's a few kids that got COVID, no fatalities, anything like that. And now we're kind of stuck. Um, no matter what, she's wearing a mask. Um, my wife and I are both vaccinated, um, but obviously she can't be. And uh, we're, we're if, if need be, I'll have to yank her out of school, which mm. means I have to take off work because my wife makes more money than I do. So 
it's it's listen like everybody's got to do their part just get vaccinated mask off this is simple we could have got rid of this already and as far as the politics go there shouldn't be politics involved with this it's just it's how we get rid of polio it's it's simple i don't know why everybody's like you know what i mean like this yeah. is simple science just be- believe in it you know it's <laughs> i don't know but that that's really like we're at the crossroads here and yeah. i'll do whatever i have to do as a parent to protect my child Sam, I I really appreciate that comment and this call in part because I really I really identify with what you're saying, Sam. I, I'm a parent of a six year old myself going into first grade, uh, and uh, and and also a two year old, and neither of them can be vaccinated. The two year old is home; he's not going to school, but. You know, with two small kids that can't be vaccinated, the 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 real anxiety, Doctor Moji, that parents are feeling right now uh, with younger kids under twelve uh, about their kids being in in a school environment. I mean, you can't get little kids to socially distance. I'm sorry, it's almost impossible, uh, at least uh, in my in my estimation. And and so I think that this is something that is really uh, on the minds of a lot of parents. But, uh, Dr. Moji, what's your reaction to what Sam has to say there? Well, I at first I empathize, Sam, and, uh, you know, if I have a 23-year-old. If I had a third grader, I would be feeling exactly what you're feeling. Uh, I, I agree. I think we need as many people to be vaccinated as possible, and we need, for now, to be masking in schools because we have to protect children and we have to protect their families, and we have to protect teachers. And, and you know, many people want us to, you know, get back in person, especially in schools. And to do that, we need to protect the people who are going to be in those buildings. So I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I think the, the question of, you know, should it be a state mandate is, uh, that's where the politics come into play, um, mm-hmm. because not everyone agrees. With Sam and with you and with me, Jake. Yeah. So. Well, Sam, I, again, I really appreciate that call. And if you want to join the conversation as well, the number is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. And Dr. Moji, again, on that, that you know, the, what is making parents so anxious right now, just, yet, just yesterday, the University of Michigan Health, uh, or University of Michigan Health, I should say, released a projection that up to 428 of Michigan, uh, 428 Michigan children ages 0 to 17 will contract a case of COVID so bad that it will land them in the hospital in the coming months. MDHHS says that it's very possible we could see a surge in Michigan between now and the fall, similar in size to the surge that we saw this past this past spring. Again, that's the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. You know, what is your sense of how concerned most education officials are right now about the prospect of going back to a surge that that really, um, you know, looks about as bad as we've seen? I think uh, all educators are concerned, whether, you know, it's in K-12 settings or uh, early education settings or at the university. I think we're all very concerned about that. We We know that we did many things well virtually, but we know that uh, our children and our, our university students learn best when they have opportunities to be in person. Um, there were a lot of things they missed out on. And so we want to stay in person as much as possible. 
which again is why I'm underscoring the importance of masking and of course vaccinating when possible. Um, I think that everyone's planning for that possibility of, um, you know, of a surge and possibly having to do, you know, some back and forth virtual in person um, will be much better equipped to do it this year if we have to do it. Uh, but I don't know that we'll have to do it if people follow the public health guidelines. And that's why masking is so critical. We know that last year, we, without vaccinations, we were able to engage in in-person instruction, wearing masks, and there were no cases of transmission in classrooms. We know that. Um, my, my daughter is a dance teacher and no cases of transmission. They all masked, they danced six feet apart, and they did not transmit the virus in the dance classes. So I think it's important to remember that if we follow these public health guidelines, we can actually do this in person. But yeah. we have to follow those guidelines. I appreciate that. The question that I have right now as a parent is how flexible are school districts to respond to a changing situation on the ground with COVID. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I listened to an interview yesterday with a uh, superintendent. This is the superintendent of Wald Lake Schools, Ken Gutman, who uh, my my understanding of what he was saying is that a lot of the laws that allowed for, for schools to be flexible last school year have reverted back to what they were before the pandemic, and it would be more difficult for him and his schools to just go right back to virtual. I believe he said something about the the required number of days or hours that are uh, required for instruction. But I'm I'm curious, uh, is that that a concern that schools uh, might not be as flexible this year even if it's just political considerations. So, you know, uh, will schools, uh, you know, be able to respond as easily as they as they have in the past? Well, a number of schools are running virtual schools. Uh, Detroit Public Schools is, is definitely running a, a virtual format, um, and all the students who choose virtual will go to the virtual school. So I don't know of any um, regulations around hours, uh, you know, in in instruction that would uh, challenge going virtual if needed. Uh, So I'm not familiar with what uh, the superintendent was referring to, but uh, I think if he may be thinking about the kinds of disruptions that could occur and having to make up those hours. But there's no reason, uh, because people are, are running virtual schools, um, you know, across the state, a number of, of districts are doing this, uh, because a number of, of families are not comfortable sending their children back to in-person schooling at this point. Uh, so it can be done uh, and, and has been done for a long time. Uh, you know, their children have been going to different kinds of virtual schools for years. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. I want to talk a little more about the academic side of things uh, when we get back, Dr. Moji. But we will continue this conversation. We want to hear from you. How do you think we can really make sure that students, teachers and families are safe this school year as we go back? What kinds of feelings are you having? 
as a parent or as a student educator or even just a citizen of kids going back to school what what it makes you what comes to mind when you think of back to school in a year like this as we're seeing this surge the number on the phones is 313-577-1019 again that's 313-577-1019 nisha hakeem and bloomfield you're up next on detroit today Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Steven Henderson today. We're talking back to school. Yes, I know summer has gone by quickly. Fall is right around the corner and kids and teachers and other educators are ready to head back to the classrooms. Some are already back in the classrooms, as far as I understand, in Michigan. Uh, And we're talking about the kinds of anxiety that people are feeling because of that. You know, this is not a typical school year. We're still in the middle of a pandemic that's going in the wrong direction. So how do we make sure that students and teachers feel safe? That is the question today on Detroit Today, and we really want to hear from you. Uh, You know, how are you feeling about back to school this year? What kind of safety precautions do you think should be in place? And how flexible do you think school should be? Uh, be able to be uh, when they when situations change when you know the cases maybe start going way up in the fall as the, even the state and uh, Michigan Health just yesterday predicted. Call us up. Uh, the number is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Again, that's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Leave your comments and questions on Twitter uh, using the hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work those into the conversation. And we are talking with Doctor. Elizabeth Moji. She is the dean of the University of Michigan School of Education, someone we turn to a lot on this show to talk about these kinds of issues. Um, And uh, Dr. Moji, before we uh, get to the academic side of things and sort of move on a little bit from the health side, I want to talk or I want to take a caller that we have on the lines, uh, Nisha Hakeem in Bloomfield. Uh, Nisha Hakeem, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning. Um, I'm a mother and a pediatrician and an internal medicine physician, and I really feel strongly that if we value our teachers, our children, and the greater collective, um, two really simple things, you know, get vaccinated and mask up. We're currently undergoing a surge, and if we don't want the state and the country to shut down again, those are two simple things you can do to help everyone. Um, I'm a mother of four children. Um, I was lucky that all four of my kids got vaccinated, Two are going to University of Michigan. Um, They're going to get their booster shots when they're eligible. I just really feel strongly that in order for us to try to get back to some normalcy, and it's not going to be the normal of pre-COVID, we really need to work together as a community to protect our children, protect our teachers, if we really value education. Mm. And the other question I have for Dr. Moji is, apart from the Delta variant, are we going to be see other variants down the road? I'm hearing about variants from my infectious disease doctors, and I'm hearing about some variants that are already in the United States that 
we currently may not have a vaccine for, and that's to be expected with all these type of unique viruses. Mm. So that could accelerate another shutdown. But in order to protect the mental health, and I think that's a really important piece that we need to talk about is the mental health and well-being of our children, how do we try to keep schools open with a little bit of change, with masking up, with checking temperatures, and let them getting back to somewhat of a normal um, situation? So I think the two things are um, mask up and vaccinate. I think it should be mandated. We mandate vaccines for all school children when they enter school, throughout you know high school when they enter university. Um, so uh, thank you so much, and I'll take my. Uh, yeah, yeah, Nisha, I really appreciate that uh, that comment and and that perspective, uh, Doctor Moji. Uh, again, uh, reminding listeners, you, you're not a public health uh, expert; you're a, you're a public education expert here. But uh, in terms of you know, again, as we've been talking about the the real scary scenarios that we've. Uh, been worried about during this pandemic, um, you know, just just uh, react a little bit to what uh, Nisha is saying there about, um, you know, worst case scenario, uh, what are some of the things that we could be seeing in schools this school year? Yes, well, let me start by thanking Dr. Hakeem. She, uh, she couldn't have said it better. Uh, mask, vaccinate, uh, and, and follow all the guide- guidelines and the guidance that we have to keep people safe. It, it just makes sense. And actually, that goes to the question you asked, Jake. I mean, if we, if we do what we know is best from public health guidelines, then we'll maintain some stability. If we don't do those things, then we're going to have that kind of up and down um, trajectory of the virus and its variants. And, and Dr. Hakeem is right. We should expect other variants. Again, I'm not a public health expert, but I've been reading and, you know, the projections are that as long as people remain unvaccinated, we will have new variants because it's the, it's the, you know, inability to fight off the virus that actually allows um, the virus to mutate and create new variants. So if people are really serious about wanting us to, you know, get back to in-person, whether it's in schools or in other venues, then we should all do our part. And, and that includes masking on top of vaccinations. And I do want to say a word about that because I know that some people think it's not worth getting vaccinated if they're going to have to wear a mask anyway. This is about getting to the point where we have enough immunity that we can then start to reduce those mitigation measures. But we're not there yet, and we need to get there so we can maintain you know, a stable school experience for our children. Yeah, again, uh, Dr. Hakeem, really appreciate that call. And if you want to join the conversation as well, the number is 313-577-1019. And Dr. Moji, uh, I do want to talk uh, a little bit here about the academic side of things. I mean, that is a conversation within itself, too, as well, uh, you know, as, as you know, but... You know, I'm wondering what you think um, educators should be doing or thinking about uh, with this new school year after the unprecedented setbacks we saw last year, especially considering disparities in how those setbacks affected children of of color and low-income kids especially. Great question, Jake. Um, You know, I want to start with um, just the idea of setbacks and um, what some people are talking about is learning loss. 
And I want to really encourage educators to focus on children as whole beings and who they are uh, as social and emotional beings and start with health and wellness first. And when I say health and wellness, I'm not only talking about the virus. I'm talking about all the socio-emotional experiences that children have had over the last year and a half. Uh, This is really a source of trauma for many children. They've been uh, away from their friends, uh, away from same-age peers. So, you know, a number of children are uh, able to play with siblings or with relatives, but they aren't necessarily in the same age group. And so there's, there are some developmental um, challenges that, are, that children are facing if they've been playing with older kids or playing with younger kids. They, they might not know how to kind of get back into their peer group. Um, they're probably going to struggle with, you know, sitting in a classroom, um, doing the things that, that children and teachers do in classrooms. Those are different from what we do in everyday life. And, and we know that people have been, uh, you know, take, taking virtual lessons in all different places in their homes, outside, uh, you know, in their bedrooms. And so now they're going to enter a, a different kind of space. And so what I want to encourage educators to do is really think about how we bring children back together and how we support their social and emotional development before we worry about, you know, whether they can add and subtract and read and and do all those things. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pay attention to the academic side of things. We absolutely need to, but we need to really do that in a way that is supporting healthy development for children and and helping them come back together in groups. It's such an important point that I feel like is so often overlooked. I mean, you know, I, I covered a lot of education issues uh, for a long time when I was covering state politics up in Lansing. And, uh, you know, the so many of the conversations really miss that, right? That That when we're talking about policy, when we're talking about education approaches, Talking just simply about the health and wellness of children is, you know, it, it, it seems like that it is, is so often overlooked. Uh, you know, we talk so much about curriculum and standards and things like that. Um, so I think it's really important. I also want to tell listeners that we're going to focus a lot into that uh, coming up in just a little bit. We're going to talk about more about uh, mental health needs of Michigan youth in schools uh, with a couple of researchers from the Citizens Research Council coming up just in a little bit on the show. So we will really dig into some of those issues. But Dr. Moji, when it comes to what schools are able to do, I think including that, I think uh, something we have to talk about is the legislature and Governor Whitmer just passed a $17 billion K-12 schools budget that that really does fill longstanding funding gaps and includes a historic increase in funding overall. I'm curious what your reaction is to that and what it will mean for schools. Uh, and also what happens next year or the year after if we don't see the same kind of investments in schools, if we're not able to put that kind of money into uh, to schools. But uh, we'll start with the first part of that question, uh, talking again about what this overall, what this school budget will will mean for what schools are just able to do. Right. It, well, uh, I, I'm thrilled that uh, the funding is coming through. I'm, I'm just, I can't say enough about how important that is. Uh, it was important pre-pandemic uh, that we start to think about 
funding our schools um, more fully, more robustly, and more equitably. So that has always been an issue, and I'm I'm really really pleased um, that you know our our leadership in the state saw that issue and that they're doing something about it. I also am pleased that there's more than we might normally see because, of course, there is a lot of work to do. Um, even though I just got done talking about, you know, not over-focusing on, <laughs> quote, learning loss and, and academics, we do have a lot of work to do for children. And we are going to need, you know, all kinds of specialized supports um, that will, I think, you know, move us forward um, in positive ways. So to then go to the second part of the question, um, you know, what happens if we don't continue to see those kinds of resources? Um, that That is something that's worrying everyone. We have so many needs in education in this state and in the country, frankly. Um, but if we don't continue to fund our schools, and to support the development of teachers and and the use of different kinds of technology tools that we may need to keep employing um, or that we should keep employing because they're they're very helpful to us. Um, if we don't actually support learner social, emotional, and physical development in ways that go beyond what we've been doing, uh, we we will be at a crisis point in our country. Education is absolutely the most critical part of moving forward and uh, sustaining a positive future for, for our state and for our nation. And I'm just, I can't say enough how happy I am that we're seeing that funding, and I really hope that it will continue. And before we go, I did want to uh, bring up a uh, relevant point to that that conversation as it pertains to school funding uh, and public schools more generally. There's this concern right now about declining enrollment as uh, students switch to virtual or homeschool during the pandemic. There's a new bill, I believe, just this week from State Representative Regina Weiss. She's a Democrat from Oak Park. It would provide $200 million to school districts for declining enrollment. Is it possible, Dr. Moji, that this issue of declining enrollment might mean that despite this big investment in schools right now, some districts might still have some trouble stabilizing their budgets going forward? I do think it's possible. I think, uh, you know, declining enrollment is is real. Uh, we have to grapple with it. And I think that if we can actually improve, um, you know, the opportunities in brick and mortar schools, we'll see fewer children going into virtual schools. But what we need to think about is how we improve the experience for children um, through different kinds of learning modes, through um, opportunities for children to um, show mastery. Um, you know, there, there are lots of ways and probably more uh, than we can, that we have time to get into, Jake. <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of things that could be done that would uh, actually keep children in schools as as we know them today, as opposed to homeschooling and virtual schooling. I'll just say one other thing that's important to note: we have declining enrollment, but we also have declining um, a, a declining teaching force. We're losing teachers um, more and more, and the pandemic has not helped us. So we have two sorts of crises, uh, you know, kind of looming. And we need to really 
work together to think about how to solve those. Dr. Elizabeth Moji is dean of the University of Michigan School of Education. Dr. Moji, as always, it would be we have so much more that we could talk about, but uh, you know, we always appreciate you coming on and, uh, and enlightening us about all these issues. Thank you so much for joining us again on Detroit Today. Thank you, Jake. Okay, coming up, we will continue talking about students' health in the new school year, and we'll focus the conversation on mental health. How can schools better meet students' mental health needs in Michigan? We'll hear from two researchers with the Citizens Research Council of Michigan here on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Steven today. Thank you so much for joining us. We've been talking about back to school throughout the hour so far today, and I want to continue talking about our children and the future of education. But I want to spend the rest of today's show paying special attention to the prevalence of young people who are experiencing mental, social, and behavioral health conditions throughout Michigan. According to our next guest, there's been an alarming increase in the prevalence of these health issues. And although the pandemic has certainly exacerbated this... This uptick has been happening steadily for years, long before COVID-19. Joining me now to talk about this and how schools can play a crucial role in providing and distributing care to students in need of programs and support are two people who know this subject very well. Tim Mischling is a research associate specializing in health affairs with the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. Tim, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. And Eric Lufer is president of the Citizens Research Council. Eric, always great to have you on Detroit Today as well. Jake, it's great to be back with you. Okay, so let's start with the background on this. Uh, I'm wondering if you could both talk a little bit about the size, severity, and scope of these mental health issues in young people. And uh, Tim, we'll start with you. Yeah, of course. What we're seeing is that right now, one in five youth have a diagnosable mental health disorder, and this results in significant impairment for one in 10 of those. Uh, And unfortunately, nearly 50% of the youth with mental, emotional, or behavioral health issues aren't getting the kind of treatment that they need. Uh, And when we look at those national statistics and boil them down to Michigan, uh, Michigan tends to fare worse than the nation as a whole. And Eric, uh, when it comes to that, the size and scope of this, what does this what does this mean? What are the implications of a problem like this becoming bigger and bigger? Yeah, you just heard a lot about uh, the resources available to the state and uh, the needs of the teachers and the students and everything. And what our report is uh, is illuminating is that if we don't deal with the mental health side of the students, the academics are going to suffer as well. So it's really important that we deal with the whole child. And uh, this is a growing issue. We have fallen behind, so a lot of the attention is on the academic side, and is there more money for teachers and everything. And we're pointing out that we need the school counselors, the school nurses. We need paying attention to um, how to lift up the child and help them deal with what's going on at home as well as learning their alphabet and and arithmetic and everything. 
So, Tim, let's uh, dig into exactly what we're talking about here. What what kinds of things are are we saying when we uh, are are we talking about when we say mental, social, and behavioral health conditions? Uh, there's there's a lot under that umbrella, but I'm curious, you know, in in terms of the the severity of the situation, uh, what are some of the specific things that we're looking at? Yeah. So, for instance, um, over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, we've seen a a substantial rise in the incidence of major depressive episodes uh, and other conditions that fall under the umbrella of depressive disorders, uh, as well as anxiety disorders. Um, Those are two of the common things that we're seeing. uh, But of course, Self-harm is an issue, uh, eating disorders are an issue, substance use disorders are an issue, and unfortunately, we've also seen uh, an increase in the suicide death rate uh, among uh, adolescents and, and even children as, as young as 10, um, and that's quite alarming. That, that is incredibly alarming, and uh, I think one of the questions uh, is – you know, I, I think that that is, that is one of those indicators that you can't really miss in some ways. But I'm, I am curious, how much of this is more diagnosis, is more, uh, you know, acceptance of and, and feeling comfortable with coming forward with these issues? And how much of it do you believe is a real sort of uh, decline in, in students' mental health overall? Is, it, are, is there a way to tell, um, you know, what is driving this? You know, it's hard to break apart a lot of those factors. If there were a change in diagnostic criteria, you would see a big jump. That's not what we're seeing. Mm. We're seeing steady increases year after year. Um, And while some of that might be explained by comfort with treatment seeking, the fact that we have such a dearth of mental health professionals in the state, um, I don't suspect that that's the case, uh, and, and that wouldn't explain the level of increase we're seeing, nor would it explain the corresponding suicide rate, which, you know, depression and anxiety disorders to suicide is not a, you know, a one-to-one uh, correlation, of course, but substance use disorders and mood disorders do put individuals at an increased risk for suicide, suicidal ideation and completion. And, you know, I think that we hear a lot of things when we talk in public about what is driving something like this, uh, considering the fact that it seems to be getting worse. You know, we hear things about social media, about technology, about cyberbullying, things like that. I'm curious, are there, are there, is there any clarity so far, uh, Eric, on what might be driving this or what can we attribute to this increase? You know, life's getting busier for all of us, and this is um, affecting our children. There's just a lot of stress in the world, whether it's uh, making the ends meet, uh, you know, paying the bills, or uh, the divorce rate of your, your parents, how that's affecting children, um, violence in the home. There's there's a lot that can be attributed to it, uh, and it's really hard to point down, pin down to one thing. Um, you can just think about what adults are going through and we've learned coping mechanisms and we've learned uh, ways to manage through and if we're not providing those tools to our young people then this is affecting them and they internalize it and they're they're trying to find those coping mechanisms but they're not always there so it's hard to pin down to one thing but um 
we we can imagine dealing with some of the things that we as adults go through, uh, what what we would have had to do with that uh, when we were young people, and, and this is what we're trying to deal with with our youth today. Yeah, Tim. Tim, what are you what are you seeing in in terms of this as well? Is uh, do you do you have thoughts on on other factors that might be involved? Yeah, I would I would echo what what Eric just said. It it's you know when we look at something like a, an infectious disease like COVID nineteen, we know what the cause is. It's a virus with depression. It's really has a multifactorial etiology, and so you have to look at all of those things in a person's life experience. There's a genetic component. There's an environmental component. The exposure to the adverse childhood experiences and traumas, like Eric was saying, as well as the things going on um, in the household and in the home throughout a person's life and within society. You know, we've talked about the impact of the pandemic on mental health because that sort of dominated our view of the last year and a half. But we've also had, um, you know, the horrific murder of George Floyd. We've had an increase in attacks on Asian American communities. We've had a, a contested election. Uh, and, and there are a lot of social issues uh, and economic issues that all factor into people's ability to, to cope with their surroundings. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm talking with Tim Mischling, research associate specializing in health affairs with the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, and Eric Lufer, who is the president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. We're talking about their look into mental health among Michigan students and youth and what schools could be doing to better support them and provide services here in Michigan. And we want to hear from you as well. Well, do you have school-age kids with mental, social, or behavioral health issues? Does your child, uh, does your child's school work with you on helping your child? How has the pandemic affected your child's mental and emotional health? And if you're, if you have a child with existing mental health issues who previously relied on a school resource or program, how has the pandemic affected their ability to maintain access? to those resources. The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also leave your comments and questions on Twitter using the hashtag Detroit Today. And I want to talk more, uh, Tim and Eric, about what some of the solutions are here. Um, you know, Eric, I'm, I'm curious, in terms of uh, the resources and models for providing treatment and care to kids who need it, uh, can you give us a sense of the landscape here in Michigan around that kind of work? Yeah, I mean, this is something that uh, we have been chronically underfunding for years. When you look at the ratio of uh, recommended ratios of school nurses, school counselors, um, psychologists, uh, we are far behind what the recommended levels are and far behind our peer states. And additionally, when you, you know, generally look at our healthcare sector, the availability of psychiatrists and, um, and doctors out there, there's, there's large areas of the state that are just deserts where people would have to travel far to get the help they need. So, um, you know, we just got done talking about our the underfunding of education and the need for teachers and everything, and and this is uh, paralleled on the health side, whether we're talking mental health or health in general for our students. Uh, something that we have to pay far more attention to. 
Yeah, Tim, I'm curious, you know, uh, in terms of, of what schools are able to provide at this point, I mean, uh, is this is this an issue that, that you believe is, is overlooked? And, and what are the what are some of the ways to to really focus in on what needs to be done uh, from a education standpoint and school district standpoint to address this? Yeah, it's definitely been overlooked um, for for a long time. And as we've focused on schools as places of learning, obviously academics are important, but students can't succeed unless they have, you know, the the right supports and resources for them to be healthy and ready to learn. So part of that is having health professionals within the school. Uh, part of that is, you know, community models for school-based health centers. Uh, and But part of that also happens in the classroom and having educators and staff that are trained to recognize trauma and other things that affect student learning that are trained to provide social and emotional learning and, and skills and coping mechanisms for students. Um, it's not just about the treatment. It's, it's also about the prevention. And so you want to take a multi-tiered approach to that in providing general support to all the students, screening for issues, catching them before they get out of control, and then providing targeted support to the students that need it. And what support each student is going to need uh, really needs to be an individual decision between educators, health professionals, and, and others working within those districts because each student has individual needs. And I assume that a lot of, of what we're talking about here really comes down to resources as well for schools. Um, you know, we, we talked with, I talked with Dr. Elizabeth Moji just uh, uh, not too long ago about the uh, big investment in schools that we're seeing here. And one of the, the things that the new school budget did was try to even out those gaps between school districts, uh, some that were getting, uh, you know, a lot more money than others. I'm curious if uh, either of you are confident that uh, this school budget uh, could do much in terms of evening out the disparities we're seeing here in terms of mental health uh, between schools that are better resourced and schools that are uh, not so much. We've only got about a minute left, but uh, Tim, what do you think? I think it, it could do a great deal to, to to make a difference if those resources are invested the right way, but schools have to make uh, student health and wellness and mental health a priority. Um, and that can be through the health professionals. That can also be through arts programs, through improved nutrition, through opportunities for sports and physical activity. Um, we really need to look at the whole child and, and provide all of the needs that they have so that they can be successful, uh, not only in school and academic but throughout the rest of their life. Yeah, and Eric, I've only got about 30 seconds, but I'll give you the last word here. Yeah, it gets to what Tim just said, that it needs to be a priority, and step one is recognizing that there's the issue, uh, so you can start to make it a priority. Uh, So that comes to every, um, starts at the legislature, but every school board, every charter school board, uh, the ISDs, uh, we have a lot of policymakers in the state on the education side. Mm. Eric Lufer is president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, and Tim Mischling is research associate specializing in health affairs with the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. Tim and Eric, really appreciate you joining us here on Detroit Today. All right, that's, that'll do it for us today. Tomorrow, join us again. Congressman Dan Kildee will join me to talk about Afghanistan, infrastructure, the $3.5 trillion spending bill, and more. This is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Thanks so much for listening.